العالمين نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهد الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Last week, I think, my own sister, um, my, my, Mariam, Mariam was here. And most of you may start. What, what we did was we just sat and uh, talked about some of the narrations from the scholars of the past. We spoke about accepting the attributes of Allah, His uh, names, His characteristics. literally without interpreting and so on. It is a specialized way of looking at something which we have naturally accepted before. Because we think situation is abnormal and that we are not having proper circles and so on, we thought till things you know, stop coming or ask you to stop coming, we can like in these few lectures or sitting, clarify anything which is still bugging us, you know, unclear, anything which are, you know, which are needed to make things easier for us later on and so on. And also to continue in circles in a manner that if people think they want a lecture, they have a lecture. Well, it's not enough to have one. What I have in mind today, since there are enough people, inshallah, is to look at this Risala uh, that uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, we may have heard his name, Ibn al-Qayyim, prepared for the people. In this Risala, he talks about he talks about how why is it that the believers the Muslims think that they are or should be or keep remaining downtrodden, you know the underdogs and how come the kuffar, the non-believers or the hypocrites are doing so well How is it that they come to terms with this? And then he shows that the way the Muslims have, generally speaking, come to terms with this issue, it is itself a great injustice, wrong, which is preventing the Muslims from rectifying the situation by the grace of Allah. Do you think we continue with that, or you just want to ask questions, or chat, or what? I mean, that's what I have in mind for today. Okay. <coughs> you know, one can talk so much about details of faith, like how to do wudu, how do you pray, and so on. And one can go on and on about details and branches and sub-branches, and you know, you can take forever and a day. You know, you're enmeshed and engrossed in studying the details. But one fact remains, which many of us perhaps sometimes neglect, to our own peril, is that no matter how much details we learn, they're not going to be of much use unless the heart is able to accept them with the right attitude, in the proper way. So what we've got to sort out, inshallah, as well, is the way we look at things, the way we feel about things, our outlook, our attitude. It's a, it's a question of conditioning the heart so it is useful in accepting.
accepting the deen as it's presented. It's not questioning it, seeking doubts and complications. As I said, this Isar is taken by Al-Hafid ibn Al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah, this is a scholar who lived about 700 years ago. He was a student of the other great scholar, you heard, in the Taymiyyah. He was born in the year 691, Hijra, and died in 751. That's the 60-62 years he lived. And this is taken from his book called The Relief from the Traps of the Devil for the One Who is in Need of That. It's a very long title. It's a book in two volumes. It's a classical book in two volumes. Inshallah, we hope, you know, we are able to represent what he wrote in the manner it was intended to be understood. And we are asking Allah to guide us and to open up our minds and hearts so we can benefit from whatever goodness in this essay contains. This Risala deals with the reason why the believer thinks he is oppressed and humiliated, whereas the Kafir is seen to be doing so well. He starts off by mentioning some common sense points. That we must understand every action has regarding it two aspects. Every action, whether from drinking water to going to sleep to actually fighting in the way of Allah, building and demolishing, whatever. Everything we do has two aspects. It's based upon two things. The love for such an action and the willpower to do it. You know, one can love one loves a lot about seeing Islam triumph, seeing the Muslims victorious, seeing peace established in society. They can love these things and talk about them. But they may not have the willpower, the resolution to do something about it. So when the love for an action is combined with the will, then it becomes an action. It gets puzzled into doing it. I would love to drink water. But I am so lazy I can't be bothered to pick the glass up and drink. Nothing will happen. I love it. I can't do anything about it. But then if I had the the willpower to actually pick it up and say it's worth it. And I drink it. Then it satisfies me. It it quenches my thirst. It makes me taste the sweetness of the water. And that's the second point mentioned by Ibn Kayyim. That a person likes to do something because of what he achieves from it. The sweetness that comes from it. The achievement. The blessing. The pleasure, the delight, the success. That's why we do things. Whatever we do. We go shopping and we succeed in shopping. One may not think in those terms. That's what happens though. You go to the factory, buy whatever you buy to eat. You're satisfying yourself. The delight of having quenched your thirst and hunger. The success of having made the trip. Without falling over, without getting distracted, without somebody else taking you away, losing your money, whatever. You achieve something. But that's the second thing. A person likes to do something because he likes to achieve the benefits, the success that go with it. Similarly, a person dislikes to do things because he doesn't want the pain that goes with it, the discomfort, and so on. And he makes the point that the children of Adam fell into two major kinds of ignorance regarding this and these matters, actions, doing these things. And the two major kinds of ignorances are, one, the corrupt way which they have adopted to be their religion. The wrong ways. Either we are acting, living, to worship Allah, or we are not. Or we are half-baked about it. 
There's nothing in between these three things. Either we are at living to worship Allah, or we are not, we're atheists or whatever, or we are half-baked about it. That would mean that there are ways and things that we do, functions that we perform, they are either meant for worshipping Allah correctly or incorrectly. Things which are devised ourselves or things which are taken from Allah. If there are things which we have devised ourselves, then maybe many of the things we do with good intentions for the right purpose are wrong in themselves. They are not acceptable to Allah. They are not the right way of going about it. As a consequence, they are not blessed and they don't give us results. And the results come from Allah. That's the first point. The children of Adam, people in general, have taken their corrupt ways to be their religion. And secondly, their attachment to this wicked world. These are the two problem areas. That we are perhaps more than necessary attracted and attached to this world. If that is the case, obviously, our outlook is going to become affected. That I know that something is good to do because it is from Allah, that He blesses, He rewards me, sometimes the reward is in this world, but I know if I'm patient about it, I'm going to get the reward in hereafter. But I don't do it. I neglect it and I push it aside or I invent excuses against it. Why? Because I think I can get something better. What was that? Nothing but what I thought I could gain from this world. It has to be. Nothing else. I know that doing something is good because it's Islamic, recommended or commanded. I don't do it. I leave that in preference of something else. Why? Because it's something else I think gives me better things from this world. These are the two major kinds of ignorances. So all actions taken by the children of Adam are either taken by them to be religion or not religion. We are Muslims. And we know as Muslims, everything is catered for in Islam. There, there's no such divisions or compartmentalizations in Islam that these, these sort of things in life are to be done in the way of God, and these sort of things don't have to be done. That is not, doesn't matter, it's not nothing to do with Islam at all. Rather, we know as Muslims, whether we're ignorant or not, at least this much we know, that the whole life of a person is something which can be established upon guidance. So we take our life to be like religion. The things we do is religion to us. But either it will be true, represent the truth, or it will be false religion. That then comes to say the, the, the point from there, that from there on, even how you mentioned. That every Muslim must now know this much also. Otherwise, really, he's fooling himself or he's deceiving the others. He must know this much. That the real success that we talked about, the benefit, the sweetness, the pleasure, the, you know, the, the delight, these things must necessarily be only for those who have taken the right religion. Otherwise, we are saying, in so many words, that it doesn't matter what religion you take, all of it leads to and that's not true. It can't be. In that case, we are fooling ourselves or deceiving the others by claiming we are Muslim. Because I'm a Muslim, but it doesn't matter, you can be a Christian. I'm a Muslim, but so what? My Hinduism is there. All ways are ways to God. We all worship the same thing. So we must know the complete delight and success definitely lies with adopting the true religion. The true religion. Both in knowledge and action. 
For those who take their first roads, the true knowledge and correct action, they are the people of ni'amah, you know, of na'im, of success and delight. And those who don't, they are the ones who are going to fall away from it. And that's what has happened to us as a nation, as individuals, society, family. But generally speaking, we find that the Muslims have become weak, that they have become distraught, they have become confused, and there are people who are exploited, they use, but they themselves don't have much authority or power, even to run their own lives, let alone establish justice upon the world. So what has happened is, somehow or other, we know Islam is the true religion, we know the Quran and the Sunnah are from Allah, that they embody truth and justice. But somehow Muslims are suffering. Muslims are not doing well. But the kuffar are getting away with most of the successes. How come? The result will be either two. Either the religion is wrong, Islam is wrong, it does not really give benefit or delight to the people, its adherents, or we have somehow gone wrong in the way we have attached ourselves. If we can get this point right, then we will know that all this time and money and effort that we are sometimes expending to find solutions to our problems really a waste of time, money and resources because they are not perhaps trying to cater for the root of the problem. The core of the problem is that people's hearts have deviated from loving the truth and wanting the earnest one love. But they are trying to use Islam as tools to gain power and authority where their hearts are still accommodating sinfulness. The evidence of that is in Surah Al-Fatiha. We say five times a day, Al-Mustaqeem. We ask Allah five times a day. And we clarify this point with an, with an example in the past. Like, you know, supposing I am thirsty and I ask Brother Faisal, you know, get me a glass of water. He gets me a glass of water and puts it down. He comes out and I say, Faisal, get me a glass of water. I need it. I want it, I need it. He gets another glass of water. There's two glasses of water there. But I don't do anything about it. I sit there. And again, oh, Faisal, because I know Faisal can give me glasses of water. Say, oh, Faisal, love it. I'll accept that. Give me a glass of water. He will find. Sooner or later, if Faisal is sensible, he will stop bringing water. And say, what's the matter with you? You know, you're drinking, you know, at least drink the first glass. He'll stop bringing the water or he'll say, well, drink what you already got there. And sooner or later, if I am intelligent, I will say, hang on, what am I doing, you know? Okay, so I want to walk out of this room because the glasses of water are made up with my foot. The point is, if you keep on asking for something, and when it is provided we don't take it, it shows foolishness. It shows not only disrespect of the giver, it shows that I'm asking, I don't know what I'm asking about, so I'm self-deceiving. But it also shows that we don't know what we're asking about, asking for. The simply parroting words. So we are saying five times a day, we are literally asking Allah, because these words mean something. They're not a, a, a sort of formula. They mean something in the language. Guide us to the straight path. So five times I stand and I say to Allah, guide me to the straight path. Next thing I know, I have Quran, I have Hadith, I have company of good people, I have scholars and books and so on. Somehow or other, it's all there, it's made clear. I'm asking Allah for it, Allah provided the guidance, is there waiting for me to take, and I don't take it. <coughs> it's as simple as that. So when we have laziness and neglectful attitude towards the deed, we must understand how unjust we are now to the giver, and how unjust we are in asking. That means that now, 
strange that we are not people of blessings, the people who are blessed. So what is this straight path? Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeen. What is this straight path? Sirat al-ladina an'amta alayhim. The path of those on whom is your da'im. Your blessings, the delights, the success. We want to be the people of delight. So here we are asking Allah for the people who have the delight. And here we are the people who do not have the delight. Rather it seems they are the ones enjoying, we are the ones suffering and paying for, even trying to worship God. Are we really worshipping God? So this is the first point. Indeed, the Muslims know Islam is a straight path. And indeed, the Muslims must have conviction in what they ask for. They must know what they are asking for. And when they have it, they must know to take it. Otherwise, they can expect to suffer. Either the giver will stop giving, or you will not know why you are asking, and it will just become an empty ritual. And that's exactly what's happening to most of us. Sirat al-ladina an'amta So what is the counterpart? Part of those on whom you have bestowed your naive. What is the counterpart, the other side of the coin, is now to know what to avoid. This surah, five times a week, is pregnant with me. <coughs> the counterpart, <laughs> not the path of those on whom is your anger, nor the path of those who lead themselves astray and lead the others astray. Who are they? Hadith in Muslim Ahmad Sahih, from the Prophet ﷺ. If it is clear, the path on whom, the people on whom rest the anger of Allah are the Jews. And the people who are astray are the Christians. So we have to pause. Okay, we are suffering, we have gone bad and things are not working out for us. But is it because we remain firm on the faith, really sincerely wanted to follow the deen of Allah, or are we at every step we take compromising and being lazy and neglectful about it and saying it doesn't matter, you know, I'm, uh, I'm praying, aren't I? But so many things we know are from Islam to our knowledge and we don't carry it out or try to encourage each other to be firm of that. We invent excuses and so on. So many things we do are in the manner of the Jews and the Christians. Do we consciously reject trying to find out first what is wrong with them, how did they go wrong, what we mustn't do to imitate them and so on, and then consciously try and reject their ways? Or do we just take it for granted, it doesn't matter, we're all human beings. You know, as long as I'm praying and fasting and going to Hajj, the rest is okay. I behave the way I like, talk the way I like, have the manners I like, you know, it doesn't matter. All that matters is the five pillars. That's a very shallow way of looking at the league. So what has Allah said, Ibn Tayyip continues, what has Allah said about those who will hold to the true guidance that is revealed by Allah? The point is, if we become despondent, if we become frustrated, if we become despairing, it shows that we have not understood the deen, deen, or we have understood the deen and rejected it. Because Allah has promised something. Allah has established facts about these people of naive. What did He say? Those who are going to be firm. He said, "Ulaika ala huda min Rabbihim, wa ulaika humul muflihun." From Surah Al-Baqarah, they are on true guidance from their Lord, and those are the ones who are successful. Are you successful? Are the Muslims successful? No. Will we now turn and blame God? Or shall we blame ourselves and correct ourselves? This is the point. Allah has promised. They are the ones of true guidance. Are we? And they are the ones who are successful. Are we? And he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
Those who would follow my guidance. It's a promise and I spoke the truth. Do we not have this conviction in the Quran? Those who would follow my guidance. Definitely they should fear not. We'll have no fear inflicted upon them. And there will not be any kind of misery or distress or sadness. We are in sadness. And we are in misery. Muslims are crying bucketfuls of tears everywhere in part of the world you go to. Because of oppression, because of suffering and exploitation. They're praying, mosques are full. They're fasting. They're trying to do a little bit to have enjoyment of eighth day and so on. But they are suffering. It seems tears flow most from the Muslims' eyes. So what happened here? Somehow or other, the promises of Allah never became fulfilled upon the Muslims. Either the claimants to this religion are wrong, or the religion is wrong. And if you think for a single moment the religion is wrong, then why do you bother remaining a Muslim? So this is the true naim. The true naim, the delight is that we will not grieve, we will be protected, we will have security, we will be the uppermost, we will be successful, we will not have any sadness, and so on. And that's exactly what we don't have. Why? So man, and he continues, man may hear and see a lot of difficulties and afflictions and calamities occurring to the Ahlul Iman, the people of faith. And on the other hand, he looks around, he looks at the, the witnesses, the kafir, the wicked, the lying person, the cheater, the deceiver, and they're doing well. So what does he do? He concludes. He makes a conclusion, and that's where the fatality lies. The mistake lies. The fatal mistake lies. Because this conclusion prevents him from changing for the better. This conclusion makes him accept his wrongdoings, his sinfulness, as creditworthy. Hides his own weaknesses, turns a blind eye to his own areas where he can improve, and just makes him rest back and accept things as they are, as sort of, you know, justifying things. He says, he looks at this situation, Muslims suffering, non-Muslims doing well. He says, oh, these promises, these sort of benefits must be for the believers on the day of judgment. Whereas if you look at the ayats in the Quran, they are not meant for the day of judgment only. They are meant for in this world as well. It is wrong. Somehow that we have an understanding now different from the understanding the Prophet taught to the companions. They will say, they will conclude, the naive is reserved for the disbelievers and the wicked, for this world, and for us in the hereafter. So it is for our love, it is for us to suffer. We suffer in patience. I'll be doing well. I'll be such a nice, patient person. I'm grateful to God. It's for me to suffer. No. Suffering comes to get rid of our sins. When the sin carries on, then the suffering continues in a manner which destroys it. First, the suffering is there, so we will repent and come back to the straight path. And the suffering continues, and we don't repent, and it destroys it. As that has been the story throughout the entire history. So what happens? When the believer hears these words, it will tell you mentions these ayahs from the Quran. And these ayahs are mentioned to prove the point that the believer should not think the way he thinks. When he hears the words, for example, in the Quran, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِلَّسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ He hears, what does it say? The honor, the izzah, the honor is for Allah, for His Messenger, and for the believer. Where is the honor? Then he hears, وَإِنَّا جُنَّ لَهُمُ الْغَارِبُونَ Like, um, that our hosts will be the ones 
who will be the true the overcomers, the ones who will be victorious. Then he says, كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَا أَغْلِبَنَّ وَأَنَا وَرَسُولِي رُسُولِي When he hears Isaiah saying that Allah has ordained that he will be victorious and his messenger. So why, why is all this happening? Then he hears, وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ The blessed end is for the pious. When he hears all these verses promising success, protection, security and peace and you know, victory, he concludes all of this is for us in hereafter and for them in the <coughs> This is the wrongness. He goes, I am on the truth, yet I am being defeated. He will say, the man with the truth is really your present defeated and the donor is for the bargain. And the nation who the state will this for is false. False. So he continues, he continues, he says, look, we mustn't become like people who give excuses. He takes escapism. This escapism, not admitting one's cause. Then he continues, making the vital point that how close we are going to be in answering this issue depends on how knowledgeable we are regarding the attributes of Allah, the names of Allah. If we understood Allah to be what He is, then we would not think wrongly about His deed. We would not know, we would know how to accept the affairs of the dunya, the world. Because they are, we will know that Allah is not someone who loves to punish the believer. We would know that. We would know for a fact that Allah does not take pleasure in seeing the Muslims suffer. But rather Allah is an enemy of those who are enemies to Him. Rather, he is going to destroy those who have chosen to oppose the way of the Messenger Rather, he is going to punish those who, having had the truth, rejected it and continued to be sinful. But if we think we are believers and Allah punishing us, then we haven't understood Allah's attribute. And he does not love that believers should be punished. This is the point he makes. Then he gives a story. Even if he makes it, he gives a story of how seriously this point was understood in the past. The point about understanding the aqeedah, the creed, understanding the names and attributes of Allah properly. And that if any time anyone came along and tried to undermine that understanding or create doubts in the minds of people regarding the names and attributes of Allah, then they are really digging or cutting at the core of a Muslim's faith. On the face of it, he may call for the sharia, on the face of it, he may ask for the establishment of Sharia and work for the Sharia. But if he has dodgy ideas about Allah and he doesn't have proper understanding about the attributes of Allah, then his faith is itself is at stake. There is a man called Jaham ibn Safwan. The Jahmiya comes about from that name. Anyway, in the, in the past, there was this man called Jaham ibn Safwan. And he was a student of another person called Al-Ja'ad ibn Dirham. This was a person, you know, the Jahmiyas were a person, for example, they had wrong beliefs. Maybe right actions, but wrong beliefs. And that's what's so very important. Wrong beliefs like they believed that God did not speak to Musa, a.s. Whereas we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did speak to Musa, a.s. in the way that fits His majesty, but literally spoke. For example, they said Allah did not take Ibrahim, a.s. as a khalil, his intimate companion or friend. Something bigger than a friend. Greater than a friend, friend. They said, no, it's not. Allah did not do so. They believe, for example, that Quran was created 
not the eternal words of Allah. This sort of things was propounded by Al-Ja'ad bin Dirham and then carried forward by Jaham bin Safwan. What did he used to do? Jaham. He used to go around taking his friends, visiting people's houses where they're suffering and saying, look, look what Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim does to his servants. Then the little person, having bad disease perhaps, accidents, whatever, really suffering, and takes people by the hand and says, look, you're loving Allah, you're kind Allah, look what he does to these slaves. What is he doing? He's in, in essence denying an attribute of Allah, that Allah is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. He's trying to make people doubt about attributes of Allah. Yeah? In a subtle way. In a sort of, you know, non-obvious way. Anyway, this is what he used to do. And so at that time there was this person of authority called Khalid ibn Abdul al-Fusari. Rahimullah. And uh, just mention what he did to this person, Jahan what happened was it was an Eid day and it was the day of Jumu'ah as well and the khutbah was given and Al-Ja'ad said to the uh, people sorry, uh, the uh, Al-Khalid he said to the people go out and get your sheep so you may store your lands today I'm going to sacrifice Al-Ja'ad in the he got up from the member Al-Ja'ad was sitting in the front row and that was his uh, sacrifice and nobody objected to it everybody was relieved and it shows how in the olden days this point about Aqeedah was taken very seriously. But okay, they might, a person is simple, it's simple. Everybody is simple. And a person has a wrong belief about Allah, he's carrying forward a sickness, a disease, which is something which will destroy Iman completely. That's a story Ibn Qayyim brings. There are many people, he continues, when they are tested by a certain calamity, they exclaim, you know, they sort of blurt out and say, Oh Lord, what was my sin? Why, my sin? Why me? Ya Rabbi, ma tarajalli. What, what, what's wrong with me? What have I done? Why do I deserve this? And this is again the problem. People should be humble. They, should, they must understand that they are suffering because of their, what their own hands have wrought. Because of their, what they have done. It's not, God does not take pleasure in just punishing people for the sake of it. You know? it's, not, it's not like that. So he's not saying, what is my sin? Rather, should say, what is my sin? How can I better myself? He said, this happens because of two reasons. Why does this person react like this? Instead of humbling it, humbling him, he becomes proud. He thinks he's doing well. He thinks he's okay, he doesn't deserve it. Why? Because of two reasons. Firstly, because he has a good deal of, no, a great deal of good opinion about himself what he calls personal done. He thinks he's doing alright, he's fulfilling all the commandments of Allah, he's pushing forward the message, he's giving da'wah, isn't he, and he's calling for the Islamic State, and he's pushing against the Israelis, whatever he's doing, he thinks he's doing very well. He's a great champion of Islam. And if he's really honest and sincere, and he sits down and looks at what he already knows, Fuji Hadith, for example, he will know that he really, how far he's falling short of carrying out what he does know. And he's running after that which he doesn't know. When he hasn't fulfilled what he only knows. So firstly, the slave of Allah has a great deal of good opinion about himself, about his religion. He thinks he's doing very well. That's the first problem why he thinks like that. What's my sin? And secondly because, as he said earlier, he believes, he believes wrongfully that Allah might not give his aid and support to the believers in this life. It's only for the hereafter. 
people will despair of the hope. He doesn't take encouragement and support for the promises of Allah. He doesn't know how to turn the deen as one who relies upon Allah, seeking his guidance and support. He doesn't know that. Islam is just some an ideology to be born to. So Ibn Qayyim then laments the fact, he, this great scholar, he laments this fact, you know, he regrets and he says, you know, La ilaha illallah, kam fasadat bi hadrilil ihtirari min abidin jahil. How many of these slaves of Allah have fallen into this sort of corrupt way of thinking? He mentions that sort of thing. Then he mentions another very important point. He says, look people, it is known that the slave of Allah and those who believe in the hereafter, it is required of them to do that in his obligation. What's the big deal about it? The reason I'm a Muslim and he's not a Muslim is because I do what has been commanded for me from Allah. The reason he's not a Muslim is because he does not do it. It's no big deal in praying five times a day and going to Hajj and no, this you have to do. If you don't do, you are punished. Sometimes you can even become a non-Muslim. There's nothing big about it. But look at our situation. Now what we do is we inflate these things which we have to do to be the jihad in themselves. It's not jihad. You know, praying five times a day is not jihad. It's something which you have to do. You have no choice. You must do. You have to fast month of Ramadan. That's not jihad. That's not striving. That's something which you have to be a Muslim. But people think that's what they have. You know, that, that is it. That's the limit. You know, five times a day on the way they give speeches and talk to each other as if, you know, that was the thing. If you achieve that, mashallah, you've got it made. So what is, so, so he does what is obligatory upon him from the acts of religion and he starts thinking. What does he do? He starts thinking and he says, look, if I start to do everything Islam says, it's going to cause me difficulty. It's going to make life hard for me. Not only am I going to lose friends, I'm going to actually sort of create enemies. I may lose my business, to people will laugh at me, to so I'll, I'll lose the support, I, will, I, may not, I might not get promoted, whatever. He begins to compromise. That is the point. Muslims must never decide to compromise when the going gets wrong. They must become even more determined to be firm. You know, there are people perhaps who say, for example, that for us to become successful in this country, when everything is against us maybe, unless we compromise, we won't be able to survive what happened in Spain may happen to others. This is the fatal mistake. Shaitan has already achieved success. We are suffering and we are weak and we are powerless precisely because we are not firm on the deed. Now if we start off on the footing of, not we must comp- comp- compromise. All we are saying is we must be even more sinful or carry on sinning and make those sins acceptable. Normal for us. It's normal for us to sin. In that case, Shaitan has already won success. And that is going to drag us more into giving up things until we end up giving up what is fundamental and what is obligatory. This is because he wants to compromise, because he does not take the challenge properly and listen to Muhammad properly. So he brings the hadith. The hadith is Sahih from Abu Huraira, radiallahu it's in Musnad Ahmed, and Sahih Muslim, and Tilbidi. In, in the meaning of this hadith, inshallah, the Prophet said, go out and act upon his religion. Go out and carry on. You know something, carry it out. Carry it out. Don't compromise, don't sit back, don't be passive about it. Do what you know you have to do, what you need to do. It's good to do, just do. 
Go out and act upon your deed, because there are deep afflictions like the darkest of the nights, where the believer will wake up as a believer in the morning, as, uh, and then at night he will end up as a kafir. And also he will end up being a kafir at night and wake up as a believer in the morning. Then the Prophet ﷺ gave the reason why. Because he sells his religion for a little worldly affair. He's compromising. He's saying, well, if I, for example, shut my shop at Jumu'ah time, I lose business. He's saying, for example, well, if I start growing my beard or something, then my, I won't get sad. Or my friends will laugh at me. He's saying, well, if I pray five times a day, people will think I'm normal. I become a Mulvi or a Molana or something. And I'll lose my friends and so on. In some way or other, they're compromising. Whether for wealth, status, friendship. Why? Because he wanted to gain something from this business. What will happen then? It may happen because either the Prophet spoke the truth or he didn't. And to the Muslims, he always spoke the truth. It will happen if they wake up as a believer, end up as a kafir, or go as a kafir, wake up as a believer. The afflictions are going to be always there. So to, to rush through now, inshallah, he mentions five points. Ibn Qayyim mentions five points. The five elements which we need to have in order to be able to achieve the delight which we are seeking. Delight of being a Muslim. Delight of paradise, the delight of success. In this, on this earth, now, in this time. Five elements. Firstly, you should know what kind of delight is seeking. You and I must make it clear in our, mind, our minds. What is this success we want? Success of having big job, big, you know, big house. Success of a nice car, you know. I've got a minina, inshallah, I possess a BMW. What are we saying? What is the sweetest we want to achieve? You know? So first he should know what kind of delight he is seeking. He is either seeking delight of Iman in his heart, delight of Allah's protection, his pleasure, and then through his mercy, paradise in the hereafter. Or he's running after this business. Secondly, he should love it. Not just know it. He should love it. He should, oh, I know I want to go to paradise. Let's finish it. Does he really want to go to paradise? Is the love there really to have the blessings, the blessings of paradise? The hate there for being thrown into the fire? Or is it just mere lip service, information? Oh, I know, Quran says so. I'm not in paradise, you're going to get anything you want. Unless you can see, and he's not acting like a man of paradise. Secondly, he should love it. Thirdly, he should know the road to achieve it. There are people, they like, they love Allah, they love paradise, but they take silly ways. They follow tariqahs, you know, tariqahs from various shaykhs, you know, invented ways. Sit and do zikr, do this, do that, reflect, you know, see colors before your eyes, join with God, and all sorts of stuff happening. You know, give up eating proper food, give up clothing, walk around from country to country, all sorts of nonsense stuff happening. There's no point knowing what you want and loving it, but not knowing how to get it. That's the third element. You should know the road to achieve it. Fourthly, you should then not act upon that knowledge, obviously. No, but knowing all this and then just sitting back and saying, well, I know, aren't I wonderful? I know it. He should act upon this knowledge. And fifthly, when he's doing all this, he should be patient. He's patient, firm. Doesn't compromise, doesn't give up, doesn't budge. He's firm. What he knows, he acts upon. His mind is fixed. He knows what he wants. Evidence is Surah Al-Atab. You know the Surah, by time, man is in loss except those who believe and do righteous deeds and recommend each other with the truth and they command each other with patience to hold hands. Okay, that's the bit. Okay.
So he says, Ibn Qayyim, the ignorance about what Allah orders and about his religion and the ignorance about the promises and warnings of Allah are the two reasons that link to the corrupt ways of thinking that was summarized earlier. Two ignorances. One, about Allah's orders and his religion and secondly, about his promises and warnings. These are the two things that link to the corrupt ways of thinking. The ways that, that was summarized earlier. That, oh no, I, husband, so-called husband has done about himself and so-called think, thinking Oh well, we have to suffer, it's for us to have pleasure in the hereafter. Kafir that is there and I can enjoy this life. So let's take the first case where he, you know, falls into prohibited ways. How come, you know, why does he leave the obligatory acts? Why, why, are, why are we evil when we know something is obligatory upon us from Allah? We leave them. Why? Ibn Qayyim then enumerates the points because First, it's common sense. It's a common sense. If we don't have common sense, we can't follow the religion properly. We become all these philosophic guys, you know, who sit around and see clouds before their eyes, their feet up in the, you know, whatever. Because he's lazy. It's because of our laziness. If I know I'm lazy, then I should do something about it. If I don't know I'm lazy, I won't do anything about it. I think it's okay. I'm working very hard. Because he's lazy and does not feel like it. Secondly, because of his corrupt way of ta'weel interpretation, corrupt way of thinking. First, well, firstly, false interpretation. Like, for example, Islam, you know, uh, yeah, the sun rising from the west, that hadith, you know, people start interpreting and say, well, that means Islam rising from the west, you know, coming from the western countries. That's a false interpretation, not the way it taught. It's a false interpretation of the matter where he does not go for the authenticity and he does not ask about the authenticity or authenticities of the matter. Secondly, and this is a very important point because he's a blind follower, a muqallid. Blind follower. My Imam says so. Imam is meant to know. He knows it. He's qualified. He knows. But how do you know he knows? We have, each one of us, one of us has been asked to follow what has been revealed. We have to know the evidence. And the scholars are the ones who give the evidence. If he can't give the evidence, inshallah, he can get it for us one day. If he can't do that, then he's not a scholar. Either he knows it, he can narrate to you, or he can point you to the book, reference, give you references, or bring it one day, sooner or later. But he doesn't do that as a norm, he can't bring it at all. He just says, well, how dare you question? It's the way of our imams, we have always done so, we follow the school of thought. He's not a scholar. When that happens, then we know we will leave many of the obligatory acts. Because the school of thought doesn't say so. Mukallid. And thirdly, excuses. He gives excuses. He says, well, I'm busy with matters that are more obligatory than the one you're talking about, you see. I don't have the time for that. So I'll leave this for the time being. I'll get on to something more important. So we ask him, how did you decide what was more obligatory upon you? Well, I think also. He has his head so let's So these are the points he will you mentioned. Then he goes, the most important point, however, not them, not laziness, not wrong interpretation. The most important point why we don't do the obligatory acts is because we have we do not do what is called the action of the heart. That's the thing which we all neglect, which we all push aside, it's either boring or it is it's only meant for those people who are spiritualists or something. He departs from that, he does not purify his heart, he does not do dhikr, istighfar, tawbah. He does not try and cleanse the spots that fall upon his heart because of sinfulness. 
And that's what's most important, really. He thinks, well, it's nice if you do tawbah, it's nice, it's good. But it's not obligatory upon you to clean your heart. This is And that's what's preventing us from coming forward properly and enjoying the bliss of Allah. Then he mentioned a very important point. He says, look, there are people, because of the situation, you'll find that they are so uneasy to leave something further. A further. Yet, they would leave something much more important in turn. It wouldn't bother them. They'll go out of their way to avoid something haram. They really go out of their way. They'll take a detailed thing, something which is haram, maybe the least of the haram things, in the, in the context of Islam, complete Islam. <coughs> and they'll go out of their way to avoid that thing. By hook or by crook. In the end, they'll have ended up, perhaps committing something even worse. For example, talk about unity of the Muslims. We say Muslim is qualified. It means Muslims have accepted the principles of Iman. Muslims have accepted to obey Allah and Islam in the way they were taught in the Quran and the Sunnah. Not Muslims because they cause themselves. Now, you are Muslims, supposing now I have a difference with Faisal. An issue, take any issue, an issue of faith. Okay? Say Faisal reckons from knowledge, from his understanding, from scholars, that um, leaving the prayer makes you a Catholic. Out of laziness. Supposing that the view he has taken from knowledge, sincerely he has understood that point. Supposing I, from my knowledge, having discussed with him also, and from other scholars and so on, taking the view, Sincerely again, that living in prayer does not make you a cat. It makes you a very great sinner, but not a cat. In the end, though, he knows that he is acting on the evidence. I know I'm acting on the evidence. We are differing on, on an understanding of it. But neither of us is sincere to the evidence. Now, supposing we say, well, I'm not going to go to Fajr anymore, I'm not going to give him salam. And Fajr says, I can't go with Munawa. You know, to me it's very important. He can actually tell people that they don't pray, they are scared. To me they are scared. So, in the end, what happened? In the end, there was a disunity between the two of us. And that was haram. That was more important to maintain unity. God did not say that if you have a difference in so understanding the evidence, the interpretation valid difference, because of understanding the evidence different, and if you separate from each other. But that happens a lot. Sometimes when we work together, we fall away from each other because he shouted at me to, you know, silly things like he called me a name, he broke his promise, and he never keeps his word, and he calls me this, and he slandered me and all sorts of things wrong. But Allah had obligated us to work together. Why did he say in the Sharia that Muslims cannot remain united and should not remain united because they could not tolerate each other's idiosyncrasies? But that happens a lot in the Bible. You differ on a point, it could be anything. You may have differed on a point in this university about moon sighting or something. And you know how much has created maybe rips of the beach. Not from the well. Ibn Qayyim mentions that a lot of people either does not does a certain act or leaves it ignoring more important matters. For example, that of Al-Amr bil Ma'aruf wal Nahi al Munkar, ordering what is right, forbidding what is evil. That is an obligation, compulsory. But he leaves it, why? Because he says, for example, look, I want to be closer to Allah you know, and be on good terms with, with Him. I don't want to annoy anybody. Leave matters for Allah to judge. I'll be safe. And the you say, those people are the most hated by Allah. Self-arrogance, because he's now ascribing piety to his He's holier than thou. Those people are the most hated. 
Then you can give an example of the Sufis, you know, the Darvishis who go around in circles and sing the Sama and all sorts of things they do. It gives an example of that. How? They love Allah but they follow the wrong ways. Therefore they are hated. Then he makes the point, I'm just skipping through them, he makes a point from an ayah in the Quran, Surah Al-Fatih, that when we keep on doing bad things, what will happen as happened before, the shaitan will make those bad things seem good in our eyes. Is he then to whom the evil of his conduct is made alluring, so that he looks upon it as good, equal to the one who is rightly guided? Question in the Quran. Afaman zuyina lahu su'u is he then to whom the evil of his conduct is made alluring? So that he looks upon it as good, same as the one who is likely to die. Here we have people. Look, you know how sinful you are, I know how sinful I am, we know how sinful we are. We know how much temptation we are. Can do you really think you and I are the same as the other people who are better than us? We know they're better because they are performing the deeds of worship better. They are scholars, or they're serious about the deed, or they were serious. We knew about the companions, don't we? <coughs> are we? Are we the same? Can we expect? How can you, you and I now expect that we should receive the same blessings, the same support, the same victory that the companions did, or the successors did? Ah, why should we? With what justification? So now it seems pretty foolish, pretty childish that Muslims are long in the du'as, in the prayers, you know. Oh Allah, destroy them and give us victory over the enemies, you know. What enemies? We are like the enemies. They refuse Allah's commandments, we refuse Allah's commandments and we are supposed to be Muslims. You know, they don't seek cleaning their hearts, we don't seek cleaning our hearts. 